Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Root and Roots show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history. And she was considered Little Lewis because she played, if you listen to that, she's on trumpet. She could play anything. She was an amazing performer. And that, you know, she was just something. That's 1937. And the reason why I did that, and by the way, if you're new to the program, this is Greg Rashid, the host of the Root and Root Show. And I played that because Balada was one of the black folks, and this is a whole thing that a lot of people don't know about, and I 
really didn't know all this. And she, you have to look at her history, but she was in the concentration camp in Denmark in World War II, African-American woman. The only uh, African-American in this particular concentration camp. But the, what we're going to be talking about this evening is a book, and it's a book of fiction. And I have to say that I rarely talk about fiction on this show because we get into history, we get into issues of racism, of you know, music, sports a lot. But this show is so, I mean, this, this novel is so historic with what it's talking about. And it made me look at some folks, because I think I know a lot about history, but there are characters in this story who are real characters who I had to look up. And if you can get me to do that, you really got a, a book there. You got a great novel. And I'm just happy and honored to have on the program this evening Bernice L. McFadden, the legendary Bernice L. McFadden, who wrote this superb book, The Book of Harlan. Are you there, Bernice? I am. Hi. Can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. I am just so happy that you're on the program this evening, and a lot of other folks uh, were very happy to learn that I was going to have you on. And you can call in listeners at 424-675-8315, 424-675-8315. And like I said, I'm, you know, I always look at it this way, Bernice, that African-American history, the whole, just our whole sojourn in this country and throughout the world, it seems like fiction itself. Mm-hmm. So, I re- so I rarely read actual fiction, but your book just—I I mean, it's—it was just—it's superb. I hope it gets all the awards it deserves because it, it is just an amazing story. And I, you know, it just the surprises in there are just like, you know, they just hit you in the gut. It's like, my goodness, I never would even think that. And I had to go back and read some passages over after I was done with the book to say. How come I didn't catch this? And it's hard to catch when you read it again. It's, you know, so you did a superb, this is your 10th book. And this is, I mean, this is a superb book. And I'm just so happy you did it. But tell my listeners the genesis of the book, because that's a fascinating story in itself. Okay. Um, First of all, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for reading the book. Um, The Book of Harlan, I've been thinking about this book since, 2004 because I went to a book signing uh, um, for a self-published author and I can't recall the name of the book right now. Oh, here, I have it right here in my book. <laughs> okay. It was called Germany's Black Holocaust. Yes. And I was fascinated and I, I you know, like so many other people, I had no idea that, um, African-Americans, Africans um, were interned in those camps, um, in those Nazi camps. I mean, it makes sense now because we didn't fit into Hitler's um, idea of the perfect human being. Um, That's correct. But, but, uh, but you, I guess it's because we were never taught that in school. Whenever... I heard about the Holocaust. It was always about the Jews, the Jewish lives that were lost, and very little said about any of the other lives that were lost. And, you know, we just forget that there were people who were living over there who were Africans, African-Americans, you know, from a little bit of everywhere, caught up in the whole 
issue of what the Germans were doing, the Nazis were doing in Europe at that time, from 1939 until the end of the, the war in Europe, 1945. And just, talk, mm-hmm. you know, t- talk a little bit about um, what, you know, your discovery, how you decided to use your grandfather. Because this is a picture of, if I'm not mistaken, a picture of your grandfather on the front of this, but this is not, yes. he's not named Harlan Elliott. He's not, that's not his name. No. <laughs> his name his name was Harold McFadden. So um, when I started, when I actually committed myself to writing the book, I was struggling with the main character. I didn't know if he was a military man. That's where I was leaning, and it just wasn't playing out for me. And so I, you know, I took a few months off and. Even you know, even though you're not physically writing, you're writing in your head. Right. And I had this kind of epiphany. I said, "Well, wait a minute. My grandfather. I have. I've been doing all this research on my grandfather, so I have this genealogy that I can use. And that's how uh, Harlan came about because I thought that was a much more interesting name than Harold." <laughs> <laughs> and so and so that's what I decided to do. I decided to use my um paternal genealogy as a skeleton, as a foundation and a base for and, the Book of Harlan. And it's really amazing. and I wanted to ask you this because I haven't seen this in any interviews with you but by other people, but did you call him Harlan because he's based in Harlem? Because I know a number of people when I told them what I was reading said they would ask me, the Book of Harlem? No, 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 Harlan. <laughs> Was that Harlan. the reason you did that? Well, my grandfather's stepfather was actually born in Harlan, Kentucky. Oh, So okay. I think that's how the name probably kind of stuck with me over the years. I kept seeing Harlan, Kentucky, Harlan, Kentucky. And so I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. I like the name Harlan. Yeah, I, I like, you know, Harlan, it, 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 it rolls off the mouth, Harlan Elliott. And he, mm-hmm. the book, and I don't, I, I'm not going to give away anything in this book. I can't, you know, because it's too, I can, I can easily see this thing. You know, a lot of people say, you know, a book of fiction, yeah, you can make it into a movie. This really could be a mini series or something. Because you're stretching from the turn of the 20th century till what, the uh, 71, 72? 70. Two seventy-two, mm-hmm. and you know, and you're yeah. talking about things that are relevant as we speak. You know, police brutality, Absolutely. the issue of racism, very scary. You know, uh, gentrification. I mean, I was surprised when you yep. threw the little gentrification in there in the forties. <laughs> yes, my um, my great grandmother, my grandfather's mother. Uh, she had a beautiful brownstone on 133rd Street. And when I started, you know, tracing my family history, I found the address, and I went up there looking for the brownstone. And when I walked down um, 133rd, I was shocked to find this huge housing development. And then I went back and did my research and realized that this is what happened, that the city came in and said, we're going to buy your homes and we're going to raise them and we're going to build this housing project. Yes, so they ended he, up moving to Jersey. Just like, just like the character, you know, Emma, 
Elliot and Sam Elliot, they move out of, you know, out of Harlem because of that. Exactly. And it's it's awful. And I'm not giving away anything in the book because that's, you know, that's something. But (laughs) I wonder why um, it makes those, I can say, I can say this from, quote this from the book, the end of the book, as far as the quote. And I want to, want to know why you chose this quote. It's kind kind of obvious when you read the book, but I was just curious. The uh, quote by uh, Dorothy West, there is no life that does not contribute to history. Right. Well, because we we all have, we've all made some contribution in some small way. But I, that quote was so profound to me because if, you know, I, I'm a child of the 70s. I'm 50 years old. And I think about what I was taught in all my years of going to school, in all my years of going to public school, going to private school, what was I taught about the contributions made by people who look like me? Very little. Maybe there were five people. So if you grow up with that idea that we have not contributed anything, and this is something that they reinforce over and over and over again, thank goodness now for the Internet. That, you know, people, if you're interested, you can go out and, and, and research and find out that we have made vast contributions to history. And um, they just keep, you know, hiding it or uh, minimizing it. So that's why that, that quote was important to me. It is, yeah, I'm glad you put that in. And I, I got 12 years on you. I'm 12 years ahead of you, so I'm a child of the 60s and <laughs> early 70s. And, you know, even though you have the Internet now, honestly, uh, Bernice, there are, some, there are a lot of folks who don't utilize it enough to find out their history. There are folks, yeah. there are a lot of folks who won't, who still, I can still throw names out to some people and they won't know who they are. Well, we'll I've talk- always been a fan of history. And every time I sit down to write a book, I do a lot of research and I run across, I call them jewels. I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. And and one one thing leads to another and leads to another and leads to another. I could just, you know, lock myself away for months at a time just reading and recording all of these jewels that I come across while I'm um, working on a book. It's really, it's one of the highlights of of my life, really, this research. Yeah, that's really great because, you know, like the song I played by Valeda Snow, I really didn't know anything about her until I was reading your book. I said, well, let me see if this is a real person. And there it was. Uh-huh. And then there are a number of other folks. I'm shocked because I, I am a student and got a degree in history, but I didn't know about Eugene uh, Bullard. And just Bullard. Like, talk, uh-huh. yeah, talk about him because I didn't even know he was a real person. So I just looked it up. At, you know, and in the book, I said, these are real folks. And just tell folks who he was. Well, Eugene Bullard was born in um, the states. I can't remember, was it Alabama? I'm not quite sure. One of the southern states. And he was just disgusted with, you know, the racism here. And he went to Europe. And uh, I think he stowed away on a boat, possibly. I could be confusing stories. In any case, he um, fought for the Europe, one of the European armies. He actually moved all the way up to become a fighter pilot. I believe he was the second. Uh, African-American fighter 
pilot in history. He was actually and, the first. Oh, was he the first? He, first? Okay. he was the first. And, and, um, and then, you know, his love of music, he ended up opening, um, first, first being a manager for one of the major clubs in, in Paris and then opening his own club, L'Escadrille, in um, Paris. He did eventually, he came back to the States for a little while. Oh, he was also a boxer. <laughs> also That's a right. Actually. But um, he did come back to the States for a little while, but he may have gone back to Europe. He, he might have passed there. I'm not quite sure. I, I'm not quite clear on that. But, yeah, I mean, no one no one really knows about him. Well, we don't. We weren't taught about Eugene No, we Bullard. certainly weren't. And I was just I was just amazed to learn about him only this month by reading this book. I said, God, I should know him. And I didn't <laughs> know about him. And then there's a you know, there's a number of characters, you know, similar, but the, I thought this character I'm about to mention was a fictional character to I got to the end of the book and I said, My goodness and I and who I'm talking about, as you describe and she's describing history I I've learned, the bitch of Buchenwald, I'm saying that right, and talk about Buchenwald. who that is. Mm-hmm. Buchenwald. Okay, so Ilsa Koch or Koch, I don't know how they pronounce it. I'm thinking maybe it's like the Koch brothers. Um, she <laughs> was married. <laughs> she was married to uh, like the head lieutenant of Buchenwald prison, and uh, she was a terror. She terrorized the inmate. She murdered inmates. I mean, she was just um, she was just a really twisted individual, and it, it it struck me because it was a woman. Not to say that we haven't seen criminals, <laughs> female criminals, but it was to such an extreme that I said, "Well, I have to. I could have I could have chosen any of the concentration camps, but." She was so interesting to me. I had to uh, put Harlan in Buchenwald to to because I needed people to to know her story. Right, and I'm glad you did that. And one thing, yeah, I mean, there's a number of chapters in it that make you really cry. You feel like crying. And I was just the chapter, you know, the part where she comes out, and I want you to describe this on Christmas Eve and what she does. Okay, so, so it's foul. Christmas Eve, <laughs> and um, the lieutenant's home and, and Ilsa's home was really just, like, outside of the prison up on a hill, so they can look down into the concentration camp, that, and the inmates can look up and see this, you know, beautiful little cottage. Um, so Christmas Eve, she comes down with baskets of cookies, freshly baked cookies, in the form of a... A swastika, and she hands she has the um, officers hand them out to the prisoners, and so you know there these people are starving to begin with, and here's this I guess it would be considered like a delicacy at that point. So what do you do? Do you and consume this swastika? What does that mean? Right. If you do. It's, it's just awful. So I'm not gonna give away what happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, Harlan and his friend Lizard end up in this concentration camp. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, 
it, it, the whole book is about, you know, basically being, if you go, if you leave, if you don't, if your instinct is telling you to do one thing, but you end up lingering, you end up in a situation like this. And it seems so hard and that happened to him continuously in the, in, you know, in the novel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, because he was what, you know, he was a knucklehead. He was a spoiled Yeah, pretty brat. nicely. <laughs> he was a brat. And so he was just used to always getting his way. And, and you know, if things went wrong, he knew that his his mother, who was a doting mother, would, you know, rescue him. That had been his life from the beginning. And he, you know, he makes a lot of, you know, he's not, I couldn't say I didn't like him. I mean, he's, I mean, he is, you know, I mean, in the, begin, in the beginning, him, mean, he's just out now as far as women. I mean, he is like, <laughs> it's like basically, you know, next, that's, that's all it is with him. Yes, yes. And I don't, I'm not going to yeah. get into any particular stories, but yeah, that's, that's his thing. But he, he finally, in a sense, I think he kind of gets it, but it takes him a long time and he's still, you know, he's still, I guess he is a hustler, but not really a hustler. No, not really. He's not, he's not really a street guy. He's no. just, I think, mostly misguided. Right. And selfish. Right. And, a, you know, but a great jazz musician. Well, not great, but he's a good guitar player. <laughs> yes, adequate. <laughs> yeah, adequate. But he thinks he's the greatest thing. Yes, that, of course. Oh yeah, that, that's it, definitely. But it's so you know, it's just fascinating to read how you know you you show besides the showing the serious dr- drama of you know being in a concentration camp, you also have. The average life of an African American family prior to World War II, you know, and okay. prior, you know, in, in the twenties and all, in the thirties in particular, because I was just fascinated how you throw in there how they're sitting there listening to the radio to Amos and Andy, okay. you know, and you're thinking about okay. yeah, African Americans listening to Amos and Andy, and it's like, oh yeah, of course they did, yeah, of course, of course they listened yeah. to it, you know, and then you you, you throw in there, and it really uh, threw me off when you talk about the war of the worlds, and I was really cracking up at that. I know, because, you know, every time I see anything that has to do with that particular event, it's never with people of color. Right. We were affected by by it as well. So where where are our stories? And I'm glad what you put that in do? there. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the story, you know, right, because the story is actually based, the War of the Worlds, according to, you know, the radio show, was based in, what, New York and New Jersey, actually New Jersey, then New York. Yes. And you're trying to tell me folks in Harlem weren't listening to this when radio was the only, (laughs) you know, means of entertainment in the home? Of course they were. Oh, yeah. So I'm just glad you put that in there. And, And just, you know, just the whole... How you go through the history, as you know, I was mentioning earlier, how you show the whole issue of police brutality, racism, gentrification, also, you know, a fam- you know, black love in the family. You show that. Mm-hmm. You show mm-hmm. a lot of that. And despite 
situations that we won't get into here because I want the I want the listeners out there to get this book. And again, you can call in and talk to Bernice at four two four six seven five eight three one five. You know, you just show all of that, and I, you know it's rare to see. You know, it's rare for something. The way you did this is rare. How you got all that in there and made it move. You could. I mean, the book actually. It doesn't take that. It doesn't take long to read this book. No, it's a it's a quick read. It is short chapters. So you know, all for three, people over three hundred some pages. Fly through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, you did a great. I mean, it's just a great. You know, just a great book. And I was just wondering, you know, what would you say to someone out there to make them get this book? And I'm trying my best to make sure that folks get this book, my listeners, but. For someone who may say, like, no, I don't, you know, I don't think I want to do that. I want to read about the Holocaust and for my summer read, and I want something light or something. What do you say to someone like that? That I don't know. What do I say? It's you, know, especially for the the historical fiction person. I think this this is a fabulous book. No matter what your background, no matter what your ethnicity. Um, and and also I think what's old is new again because as I was writing the book, I was really kind of awestruck about um, things that I was creating in this novel that were happening as as I was creating. Like I'm I, here, I am recording uh, for for my readers' history, right. and I'm and 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 I'm living. In the same sort of world, it may not be 1930, 1940, 1950, it's 2000, you know, 14, 15, 16. And what is that famous saying? The more things change, the more things stay the same. Yeah, yes, that's well, true. That's such a true statement. It's such a true statement. Um, I, I, I feel that if you, as a reader, I think it covers everything. Whatever your interest is, I think you'll find it in this novel. I think I agree if with it's that. Music, I'll... if it's if it's romance, right. if it's history, it's all in the Book of Harlan. It's even if it's you know detective. If you're into detective stories, it's mm-hmm. in there. Everything's in yes. there. Also, you can say in a sense too that some. I mean, the horror of the Holocaust is enough, but there's other little pieces of like a kind of a ghost story in some places. Yes, yes. I always have, you know, you know ghosts. Ghosts are very important to <laughs> African Americans. That's right. They're just common. They're common for us. I mean, you know, that's not anything unusual. But I, I think that um, people will be surprised. There's a a really great twist. I think there are two great twists in the book that will leave people kind of shocked. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, it it floored me midway through the book. I was like, oh, my God. But it makes, (laughs) all I'm saying, it it makes sense. It makes sense, yes. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, it makes sense with, you know, and, and the book also is about choices that people make as far as sometimes people, well, just, I'll say that sometimes Things don't appear the way they look. Right. You know, yeah. that's all yeah. I can, you know. You can't judge a book by its cover. 
That's right. You can't do that. But I can judge this book, and this is a great book. I just hope that you get all the awards and everything. And I know how many how many years did it take you to write this? Did I see twenty years? Well, I mean, to get things together. I've been, I was I started thinking about it in two thousand and four. I started writing in two thousand eleven. So about four years to actually put it on paper, revising, adding, taking away. So, yeah, it was a long time. It, 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 this book has been with me for a very long time. What has what your family said about you using your uh, your uh, parental grandfather, your, uh, <laughs> grandfather on here? No one has said anything because this is something. I've been researching Harold for so many years, like 20-something years. My father did not know him. Um, he left the family uh, when my father was, I, don't, I think he left before my father was born or maybe right after he was born. And um, my grandmother, according to her, she didn't know where he went off to. And the next she heard, he was dead. You know, somebody told somebody and word got back to her. Um, so at this point, the family members who've read the book haven't had any Thing negative to say I, I think one cousin did She was a little confused She's like was he really over in Germany It's like no no he wasn't there uh, Not that I've found right. But um, I would just say, I would say it, it's been positive it's That's been great positive. I've seen a I mean the reviews have been positive And I thought at first When I saw the cover of the book I guess it came out in May I thought uh-huh. this was rock. I thought this was the blues player Robert Johnson on the cover. Oh, oh wow! The way I just looked at it. Is this a story about Robert Johnson? A novel about? <laughs> and there, like well, only two pictures of him. Well, my grandfather was a blues guitarist. He that is yeah. true. He was a blues guitarist. Well, that, you know, it's, it's something about the blues, and it gives, it gives you a certain look. I guess that's it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the thing. <laughs> but I, you know, and I'm just so happy to have you on here today, and just thankful for you writing this book. And if anyone wants to reach you, where can they go? Well, I'm pretty active on social media, so I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram. So you can find me there, and I, I really try to respond to everyone who reaches out. Well, you you know, I hope, I know folks will reach out to you with this book. And and I'm happy, too, that this is published by, you know, this is an African-American press, if I'm not mistaken. Well, no, it's not. Oh, it's not. Books is, no, it's not. But no. they publish a lot of African-American authors. Oh, because I they was do. thinking but that. They are, they are an independent uh, press located here in Brooklyn um, and they have actually a very diverse uh, author roster. They publish people from all different backgrounds oh, great. and ethnicities. Yes, it's really a fabulous uh, press to work with. Yeah, well, I want folks to get to get out there and get this book into, you know, a lot, you know, I want to ask you this as an author because you've written 10 books and you, you know, you, you know, you read history and everything. What what do you how do you feel when you hear that when someone says to you you know African Americans they don't read they don't read anything they may oh. read a magazine what, what do you say 
Well, that's a myth that's been perpetuated for uh, centuries, it seems. Right. But, you know, truth be told, if it wasn't for African-American readers, a lot of these white um, authors wouldn't have made the, you know, New York Times list. That's right. You we, know, it's we, yes, every, we're big readers. Every every used book, every every book sale I've gone through, gone to, no matter what part of the country I'm in, there's always a lot of us there. Absolutely. Always. always. Yeah, I, I was I'm, a voracious reader. I've cut back now because so not to say I've cut back, but I've changed what what I read. I read a lot of nonfiction now because I'm always researching for the next right. uh, book. But I remember, you know, for years I'd go through at least two books a week, and this is just going back and forth to work on the train. So that's See, I... just you know another another myth that. Um, <laughs> Because yeah, I do this, I've been I've been doing the same thing for forever. I read two or three books, and I, you know, it, it, it's it's so you know, folks is you know, not our folks. I always get this. I have to say this from from, from actually white folks. Like you know, they're always curious. You know, you read. I always get that. <laughs> you read. You read really? other books. Do you read. You know, even though I've been doing this type of show for you know almost 15 years now, I still get that, you know, from some, you know, white colleagues. I'm like, oh, you read? That's amazing. I know. It, you know, are you studying something? Is that is that why you're doing this? Like, no, I'm reading because <laughs> I enjoy it. I mean, I do these shows, but I also, you know, I enjoy reading. So, right. you know, but, but, you know, people put myths out there and you have, you know, with this book, you've um, dispelled a myth that, you know, of us not being, you know, a part of what was going on in Germany as far as the Holocaust and that being, you know, mm-hmm. that we were there. We were there. We're everywhere. That's right. That's the whole thing. We're everywhere. <laughs> we're if you everywhere. do a lot of traveling, you'll find out we are everywhere. That's why it's traveling just, is so important. It is. And that's a, that's a show eventually I'm going to do one of these days because that's a whole separate issue. But Bernice... Mm-hmm. I just want to thank you for being on here again. And what have you even thought about your next novel, number eleven? Um, I oh, yes, <laughs> I have. Um, actually, number eleven that'll be coming out next year, but I'm still editing. But number twelve is um, I'm very excited about, and and I'm actually pulling together research material for it. So that's a couple of years down down the road, but I hope that, you know, you'll have me back next year when, when my next book comes out. I definitely will. You know, you know, like I said, I rarely read fiction, but I'm going to read it. I'm going to look at some of your, your previous books too. Well, thank I like you. Your, I appreciate that. You know, and I, I like your style. It's, it's, you know, just that you throw all the history in there. So I really appreciate thank you being on here today, Bernice, and look forward to meeting you in the future. And are you doing, you're doing a book tour now or will you be starting? Well, I've been, I've been, you know, I've I've done a few little things. Um, My next event is the National Book Club Conference in Atlanta. I believe that's the 28th of July. So I'll be down there. Okay. Are you doing something in New Orleans in August, I think. Have you been invited to the uh, book fair in D.C.? 
That's in August. Um, um, I don't know which book. one that is. I, they call it. It's, it's the Library of Congress is the one that um, sponsors it, but it's like the National Book Fair, and there's a it's a huge thing. I've attended it the last on two the years. Mall? It used to be on the mall, but oh, because of the heat, they, they have it inside now at the convention center. Okay, wasn't that something that happened? I thought that was late September. But it's, yeah, it's I'm sorry. It is. It's, 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 I'm sorry. It is. It's, it's um, the mid. No, it's it's early September. No, it's actually August. Uh, it was before Labor Day. Yeah, they it changed it. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not doing. I don't think I've ever done that. Yeah, you would be great there. You'd be really. You I'll know. Let my publisher though. <laughs> oh yeah, you have. You know, you have to be a part of that. But Bernice, again, thank you so much for being on here. Look forward to meeting you. Sometime in the future. Same I'm looking here. forward to interviewing yeah. you again. You take care. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good evening. All right. Take, thank you so much. And again, that was Bernice L. McFadden, the author of many books, but her latest book is The Book of Harlan. And I would recommend this. And I, like I said, I, I think I, this is maybe the second in all the years I've done interviews on radio, be it regular radio, internet radio. This is the second author that I've interviewed who wrote a fiction book. I don't do it, but this was so great. This thing is just amazing. So really check it out. The Book of Harlan. Not Harlem, but Harlan. It is based, you know, part of the story is based in Harlem, but yeah, check it out. And I'm going to play right now some music from that era because I started with um, Valletta Snow. And I'm going to do right now because Bernice mentions this, um, these folks in this book. And this is um, a song by Cab Calloway called Zazu Zaz. And what Zazu Zaz, a lot of folks in Paris, white folks, Parisians, started calling themselves Zazu Zazes because they wanted to emulate the jazz performers, African-American jazz performers that were over there and you know, and they were they dress like them, they emulate them. They, that's what they were called. And I'm gonna play where they got the name from. This is a song by Cap Calloway, Zazu Zaz on the Root and Root Show.
Mr. Gable, he didn't think so much of that one. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, Gabe. Me and Lil' Satchmo gonna go up there and hit you some high ones. I know you're gonna like this. Good out, Satchmo. Let's swing one of the Don't 
some shim sham shimmy or refrain shim. <laughs> but anyway, that was uh, the great Bessie Smith, and that's uh, give me a pig foot and a bottle of beer. And before that, we did the great Louis Armstrong, and I hope Gabriel likes the way I blow. And we started to set off with uh, Cap Calloway and Zazu Zazu, and that's uh, dedicated to Bernice uh, F. McFadden because she mentions a number of those characters in her book, The Book of Harlan. And we're going to get to some new music now. And I'm going to do the new one. This just came out. This is um, BWB. And that translates out to Norman Brown on guitar, Kirk Whalem on saxophone, and trumpeter Rick Braun. We're going to play Hey Baby. And this goes out to, um, I got folks listening all over the world. Um, this is to Lucia in Canada. So let's hear BWB, hey baby, on the Root and Root Show.
That ain't 
legendary, the one and only John Coltrane. That was Song of the Underground Railroad. And before that, I loved it. I loved it. I should, no, I just hit, knock something over. I, I love it so much. But uh, I should make that a theme. But I, oh, man, I, I just love that. And before that, we did Gregory Porter, 1960 what? Then Esperanza Spalding, one of my wives there, and Funk the Fear. And then BWB started a set with Hey Baby. And that went out to Lucia out there in uh, Canada. As we get to more music on the Root and Root Show. And I think we'll do a new one from a blast from way in the past. The one and only Cool in the Gang. Robert Cool Bell and DT and everyone else in the group. And this is their new song. And I'm going to play, it's called Sexy. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. You got me staring, and I can't help it cause your body's so amazing, so amazing. Has anybody ever treated you special like an occasion, an occasion? Oh. Every single time it gets me, you're always looking sexy, cause if I know you wherever you go. Like you in this whole wide world, that's 
Shantae Moore definitely got what I want. But anyway, that's my wife there, Shantae Moore. And that's, uh, I'm the one that you need. That's right. I'm the one that you need. And before, <laughs> before that, we played. That's right. I hit something again. But 
We did Galopoli, and that was a closer. And then we did Cut Close, uh, the protégés of Keith Sweat and Surrender. Then we did the new one from Keith Sweat with Takia Mason and just the two of us. Then we started to set off with the new one from Cool in the Gang and Sexy on the Root and Root Show. And I'm going to do another song here going to Zydeco land down Louisiana. Dedicate this again to my buddy Jim Kruger who hit me to this guy. And I'm going to play right now Chubby Carrier and Chicken on the Bone on the Root and Root Show. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about that chicken on the bone. That's how I eat it at home. Man, I like some of that chicken. But I like to eat it on the bone, baby. Give me some of that chicken. Come on. Thank you. 
Hey, stop Have we made it there yet? Oh, man. I can't wait to get there, y'all. We're going to show them how to talk. We're going to have a good time. Yeah.
Morning show, Rare Essence, turn it up, something new from them, featuring DJ Cool. Turn it up, it's my joint right here. Let's go.
Supreme Team and Hey DJ. That's the song that can get us DJs inspired. <laughs> and before that, that's from the 80s. And before that, we did uh, another song that gets me going. A little bit of DC Go-Go and Rare Essence featuring DJ Cool and Turn It Up. Hope you cranked up and turned up your music. If you're listening on KUHSRadio.com in Colorado, the creation of Henry Archuleta. I hope you enjoyed the music and always enjoying the music. Before that, we did uh, Denise LaSalle, Got to Pay to Play. And then we did, did O.B. Wright, Let's Get Drunk, and we started to set off with Chubby Carrier and Chicken on the Bone. And we're getting ready to get out of here now. The show's about to conclude now once again. But if you want to reach me, a lot of these shows are based on listener supporters like yourself who call me, email me at Unifix, U-N-I-F as in Frank, I-C-S as in Sam at Hotmail.com or to go to Facebook at Greg, G-R-E-G, last name Rashid, R-A-S-H-E-E-D. On Twitter, hashtag Unifix, U-N-I-F as in Frank, I-C-S as in Sam. And, you know, I get a lot of responses for the show, a lot of followers, and I listen to you, and we create the topics based on what you listeners like yourself suggest. So keep it coming, and I want to thank again, Bernice F. McFadden, who wrote the superb book, the novel, The Book of Harlan, Go Get It. I'm not saying Harlem. I'm saying Harlan. 
H-A-R-L-A-N. Check that book out. It just came out in May. It's fabulous. But this is Greg Rashid again. You all have been fabulous out there as always. And we'll see you next time on the Root and Root Show. And I just want to say hi again to all my folks out there in Denver. I'll be out there again at some point. So go in love and go in peace. And we'll see you next time on the Root and Root Show. Thank you.